Bloodbath and Beyond, Episode 12. I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. And today, we're sacrificing 92 minutes of our time to please the corn of Gatlin, because we're talking about Children of the Corn. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Bloodbath and Beyond. What is there to say about this movie? Well, um, I guess you start with the obvious. It's a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah. Um, a good seven years after, you know, Carrie set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. So, so this, you know, this, at this point, Mr. King is on the rise. Uh, still not quite getting maybe the respect he deserves, because even the first trailer for this movie misspells his name as S-T-E-V-N. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't yeah, notice yeah, that. It, it completely botches it. So, uh, it's not a surprise. They put the no. same kind of care into the screenplay. Uh, and I, I would venture to say, you know, and, I'll, and I'd like to talk a lot more about the novella, uh, rather the uh, the short story later, um, after we've sort of capped off the film, because there's quite a few substantial differences here. But even as a story, this is not really one of the classic Kings. Uh, this is on one of Stephen King's lesser, oh, favorite adaptations. He doesn't like very many of them. You know, the Shining being a a very fi- infamous example, and uh, well, what, what are the ones he likes? Like Shawshank Redemption. Well, let, let's be let's be realistic though. This is no The Shining. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah. Like like no matter how much Mr. King dislikes what Kubrick changed, at least Kubrick made a uh, you know a masterpiece. At least he made a work of art that's worth watching for its own merits. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely not a Shining example. And yet there are seven sequels to this movie. Yeah. The most recent one was made two years ago. I think, as far as you know, movies that have been adapted from King that he likes, I'm sure uh, you know you can you can pro- talk about the work of Frank Darabont. They work really close together. So that's the Sh- that's um, the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile, uh, the Mist. Oh yeah. Initially, he really liked Brian De Palma's Carrie, but I think he was a little disparaged when De Palma sort of treated the source material uh, in interviews like it was. Nothing. Mm-hmm. He said. Like, like he, he, like, yeah, he said he enjoyed uh, Cujo also. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, there's definitely a ton of adaptations out there for uh, the work of what you know some would argue is the greatest modern American novelist. At least, I mean, most definitely, he's the only horror author that the mainstream uh, readership pays any attention to right now. Yeah, uh, with good reason though. He's he's had an, an incredible uh, output. Oh yeah, and an incredible career, and still continues to. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, you know, I, I think a lot of modern horror, you know, uh, pays homage to him, and with good reason. And so, you know, it's and it stands to reason that there's so many adaptations of his work, but this is the first one we're talking about on this show. One of many. So we're not starting with like one of the best ones. Oh, for no, that reason. absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, and besides, you know, we thought, hey, it's it's fall. It's the <laughs> harvest season. <laughs> We're going to cover Children of the Corn. Yeah. So let's get into the plot of this thing. Yeah. Well, we'll do a quick down and dirty run through of just what the heck is this movie about and what happens in it. All right. Well, this movie is set in the fictional town of uh, Gatlin, Nebraska, which should immediately tell you if you're a Stephen King fan, you are not in Kansas anymore. Um, Because most of his stories take place in fictional towns in Maine. Yeah. uh, Where he lives. So this one, this one's middle America. It's still isolated enough, though. Yeah, isolation's a big, 
uh, component of his work. And horror in general. Yeah. But so uh, we we join a young couple on a road trip through Middle America, and they are uh, the heroic and very handsome Doctor Bert <laughs> and his girlfriend, played by Linda Hamilton, uh, in a movie that came out the same year as The Terminator. Uh, she her name is Vicky in the movie, I believe. That is the definition of highest highs and lowest lows. <laughs> yeah. to, to have been in the Children of the Corn and Terminator in the same year. Extreme. That's a hell of a career. Yeah, one of the best action movies of all time, and then this. <laughs> Which was um, yeah. But we've you know the film has already opened up with uh, a sequence in which all of the children of Gatlin inexplicably kill all of the adults in a diner and presumably around the, around the city because we hear, uh, we hear one person on a phone <laughs> screaming, what are you kids doing? Ah, yeah. There, the there's sp- a kid's voiceover that explains, uh, the, the same thing happened all throughout the town. Yeah. And then, um, then we cut right to, uh, Bert and Vicky. Well, um, before that, there is a child who is trying to break out. This is three years after this incident, where all the adults are murdered. There's a kid who's trying to escape whatever like evil child regime there is. We don't really know. And this is not before he is cut down and left for dead in the middle of a highway. Mm-hmm. And where his body is hit by uh, Bert and Vicky. Bert and Vicky, yeah. And this, this uh, leads them on to... They put the body in the trunk... I think they put it in the trunk, don't they? They they definitely pick it up. They want to make sure it goes somewhere so they can explain what happened. Yeah, so in, in a good while they spend time just looking for somebody to tell about the incident, police, some sort of authority figure, and they can't find anyone. No. Um, they do bump into an old mechanic Yeah. who is trying to lead them away from the town. Uh, but presumably this guy, this mechanic has been hired initially to lead people toward the town. Like they, but because for whatever reason, he starts screaming to the children of the corn as, you know, as the, uh, as Bert and Vicky drive away, I, I did what you wanted me to do. I did what you wanted me to do. You know, I, I stayed with the deal and they kill him anyway, just because, you know, whatever. And this dog. That's not yeah. Nice. So Bert and Vicky. I'm sure Bert is probably the smartest person in the movie. And he's driving around, and they just can't seem to get to Gatlin. Uh, and all the while, um, there's two children who are sort of dissenting and who are not traumatized at all, apparently, by the goings-on of all the bloodshed from the town a couple of years ago. Well, what, hold on. What are their big sins? Because you can't just say that these two children are rebelling. Their rebellion is that they are dressed in adult... They're dressed in, like, comical adult clothing, playing board games and listening to records. Yeah. (laughs) Which is deemed illegal by the child regime. Led by a creepy child by the name of Isaac and his henchman, Malachi. Uh... Yeah, I, Isaac is sort of the uh, the preacher. Yeah, he's he's kind of the Randall Flag of the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, he's very he's very passionate. He he's uh, very devout. Mm-hmm. And Malachi is just kind of his awkward uh, ginger muscle. 
Yeah, he's he's older than most of the kids, so he's pretty good at keeping them in line. Um, Bert and Vicky eventually end up at a house where the two kids are playing. They find them, and then, like geniuses, uh, they split up. Bert tries to walk over to City Hall. He finds that the place is deserted, while Vicky is abducted by Malachi and his henchmen, and she's about to be crucified and sacrificed mm-hmm. to the corn god. Uh, who is referred to as he who walks behind the rose. Rose with a Z. But and we've seen that they've done this before. I mean, they have a uh, they have a they have a corn husk crucifix in which, in which a uh, police officer they call the Blue Man yeah. is hanging and he's skeletonized. Mm-hmm. And all the while, uh, a coup takes place where Malachi and a few of the bigger kids overthrow Isaac and uh, throw him onto a crucifix. Yes. Uh, also, recruit not just across. Um, uh, Bert, I think he doesn't he like interrupt a, a sacrifice ceremony inside of a church. Yeah, yeah, and so that leads him back to the house. He's trying to tell like, the kids like you don't have to listen to this. This isn't real, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, and uh, and and he he arrives just in the nick of time to rescue Vicky. Yeah, um, this is not not before like a bunch of the kids in the whole town are trying to murder him. I think a little girl stabs him in the shoulder. Generally, they're all carrying around wheat sickles. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, some sort of, you know, rusty blade. Um, the kids' hygiene is impeccable, by the way. Yeah, there's no adults to tell them not to eat candy and to brush their teeth, but they're doing a good job. Yeah. And, uh... uh and, and, uh, Bert learns that the, uh... First of all, that the monster, he who walks behind the rose, is apparently real, because we see this thing sort of digging like a cartoon gopher yeah it's very yeah, it's very bugs bunny very wrong turn at uh, albuquerque uh, this is yeah this is after uh bert interrupts a sacrifice ceremony mm-hmm. acts like an adult and just talks the kids out of being evil it's just, i swear to god that's what happens yes and uh <laughs> so the kids all sort of leave that's what happens they just kind of leave and this really horrible effect devours Isaac as he's on the cross. <laughs> it's just it just kind of throw, it kind of shows the uh, the crucifix rocket propel itself slow motion into the air. Yeah, and it just sort of dissolves into these really strange like colored in frame effects. Oh oh yeah, I forgot about that awful like it lo- it makes it it makes the whole thing look like it's like a thermal image. Yeah it it. It didn't look scary. It's like they did it at the last minute or, or the practical effects guys just couldn't figure out what they wanted this thing to look like. And so we just get more like cuts of something moving underneath the ground. The corn god has all referred to him. Um, and then Isaac shows up again, but now he looks possessed. Yeah, he's got he's got white hair now and he's he's practically the deadite version of Isaac. Yeah, his voice is uh, a few octaves deeper. And he only comes back to life just to kill Malachi. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure that out. But anyways, some sort of bizarre, terrible-looking effect plans to kill, or is a, I guess is going to devour everyone else in the town. Yeah, he who walks behind the roads at this point in the movie is now... He's now burrowing under the ground, but he's also a red cloud. 
really awful looking red cloud. And Bert and uh, one of the boys uh, come up with a really hard to follow plan to cover it with gasoline. They 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 use the irrigation system to fill it with gasoline yeah. and blow it up with a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> but it doesn't work the first time. So they like the Molotov cocktail just kind of ha- harmlessly lands on the ground and they have to retrieve it and yeah. throw it again. This movie just needed more drama. I didn't think this movie could handle anymore. So uh they they burn the cornfield. We 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 kind of see he who walks behind the rose face as it emerges as a cloud and explodes. Mhm. And, uh, yeah, they decide they're going to kind of adopt the two kids that helped them. Yeah, they act like nothing really happened. They get in their, uh, they decide to walk to the nearest town. This, uh, this is after a really awful jump scare of, like, the girl who stabbed Bert earlier tries to kill him. She's been sitting in the back seat just waiting for him. So he just knocks her out, and he goes, oh, uh, she's knocked yeah. out cold. Yeah, Vicky kind of harmlessly hits her with the passenger door of the car, and the girl is just dead, pretty much. Yeah, I guess they'll, they'll let her just stay in a coma forever. And and that and on that note, they superimpose the word "the end" over the car. Yep, that is that's, how this that movie, is movie ends. Yeah, it's that is this movie. It's pretty bad. Uh, okay, now that we've so, trudged through that, yeah. Yeah, we've tried. We trudged is the word. Yeah. Um, let me ask you: Was there anything you liked about this movie? I liked the opening sequence. I thought it set the stage well. It was the only remotely scary scene in the whole movie. Now, when you say you like the opening sequence, do you mean the uh, like the kids in the cafe, or do you mean the uh, like the adults arriving? I meant the kids in the cafe. See, I I I dislike that a little bit. Um, oh, just because I feel like I feel like horror at its best kind of starts in media res. Like, you want to start in the middle. Uh, like, I know the original short story starts just with Bert and Vicky showing up. Okay. Uh, like, so that, that whole sequence is not even in the story. Um, and it, also in the story, Bert and Vicky are a, a married couple trying to save their marriage. Um, that sounds more kingish. Yeah, much more. Uh, but I so so we kind of just learn as you know as they do about what happened in the town. Mm-hmm. I mean there there's some there's some pretty good effects. I think some you know in the uh, in the movie version doesn't somebody get their hand put in a meat slicer or something? Yeah, well th- th- it cuts really quickly. That that's one thing I liked that they did leave some of the violence to the imagination. Like mm-hmm. you see the hand about to get to the meat slicer, and then it cuts away and a bunch of blood sprays onto the face of a little boy. Little boy who's narrating and who eventually helps out Bert and Vicky. See, I, I guess what bothers me about it is I feel like that scene was just there so that it could enhance the number of people that got murdered and make it feel more like a horror film. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, yeah, uh, are you saying you don't like horror that doesn't seem to have any kind of pretext to it? It just happens? I, I Well, I, I guess that's kind of like the literary horror tradition I enjoy, like reading... Yeah. Reading a lot of you know horror short stories, the best ones tend to happen where like the discovery of what's going on occurs you know the, to, with with uh, for the uh, viewer or reader at the same time as that happens to the characters. Uh, I I don't generally like when horror tries to overexplain itself. Um, it's the same thing with me with uh with zombie movies or zombie stories. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't really like when there's an explanation for where the where the uh, zombie infection comes from. 
Like, like you know, I, I really love about Romero is that you know there's a lot of different ideas offered. Oh, it could be a it could be a virus, or it could be radiation, or it could be a falling satellite, or it could be you know a a biblical thing. Yeah. And so you know, I, I don't like I don't like when the answers are just kind of handed to us. And so sort of to have already seen the kids murdering people. Like I, I mean, I know it's called Children of the Corn. I know there's trailers, and I know people walk in expecting something. But I feel like, in the hands of a smarter filmmaker, and to be, you know, there's there wasn't a lot of hope for this from the very beginning. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like there was an opportunity that there could have been more tension generated just by expecting and not knowing. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's you know, kind of the rule of suspense. But at the same time, to have a successful story cinematically you have to kind of know what the main characters want, what their objectives are. But the horror itself, I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's scarier when you don't really know what makes it tick. Mm-hmm. Like um, with the Silence of the Lambs, we, we may talk about one day, um, the movie is really close to the novel. It's a very close adaptation. Uh, with the exception of the Buffalo Bill character, and I uh, the novel has a bunch of backstory about him and what, how, why he is the way he is. Uh, and I like that the movie leaves that a little unexplained. So his psychosis mm. is stranger and scarier. So uh, to have everything yeah, handed out to you, it, de- it demystifies it. And part of horror, uh, part of what makes someone like H.P. Lovecraft so great is that it's the unknown. Well, yeah, I mean, and and really, I mean, even a lot of the modern masters of horror, um, I, I guess, I, I think th- this could have been a much stronger piece mm-hmm. if, you know, as a, as a narrative, uh, it kind of all, like, all of what was going on unfolded for us, you know, from Bert and Vicky's perspective. Like, if we didn't have these sort of cuts to the kids doing things on their own, yeah, like, like if we just sort of witnessed all of this from their eyes... I think even the weird cult aspects would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like Bert and Vicky were horribly, horribly boring people. Oh, yes. There's nothing to, like, really care about with them. They're just trying to go to Seattle, and they're driving through yeah. Nebraska. Well, and they're very much ciphers just for things to happen to them. Yeah, all Linda but, Hamilton. But I, but I still... I still feel like this maybe the script or like the the filming could have stuck with them a little more yeah. and just had the unhor had the horrors unfold in front of them. Yeah, from solely their perspective instead of hopping back and forth. Yeah, between the kids and themselves. Yeah, because I mean the way it is in the movie, neither is developed in a satisfying way, and all Linda Hamilton especially gets to do is just sort of react just to everything, and it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what part of, partially why I severely dislike this film is that it's so bland. Incredibly. Yeah. It's very forgettable, and it makes me wonder how, how are there so many sequels to it? <laughs> oh, uh, we'll find out one day. Yeah. But, um, you know, speaking of, you know, cinematics and, and, and generating suspense, mm-hmm. um, there was one like there was the scene in the movie that sealed the deal for me that this was a bad film was the extremely poorly shot, poorly edited uh, sequence right after they hit the boy in the road, mm. where Bert gets out of the car to check it out. Vicky kind of stands around, kind of sits in there, closes her eyes with the door open, 
Yes. Um, and then Malachi's off in the distance. Oh, I... It doesn't give you like a very good spatial relationship of anything for you to really care or know. Or you don't really know what Malachi wants to do. And then it has like a really lame fake scare and that it cuts to like a close-up of a, probably Malachi's knife by the car. And then it ends up being Linda Hamilton dreaming about it. It doesn't make Which, any how, sense. How, yeah, how could she have even dreamed about something she didn't even know about? It, I, I, it, that's yeah, that's my point. Like, it it doesn't make any sense, and it's just it's bewildering, and it's not scary or suspenseful. What, that's 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 complete audience vision. Like, we as an audience know the kids do this because we saw that first scene. Yeah, you know, the filmmakers know that their kids are going to do this, but there's no way Linda Hamilton would have had any reason to suspect that a kid is going to sneak around her car in her dreams. They never give before or after that Linda Hamilton like the little girl in the movie has any sort of precognition abil- abilities, you know? That's what it kind of makes you think, but it doesn't. Um, like, it, like, is he who walks behind the rose influence so strong that he can mess with your dreams? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Either have either not have that at all, like the dream thing at all, or have it where Malachi is showing up and it's very clear what his intentions are to do to Vicky. Um, mm-hmm. And you do this by having, you know, simpler shots, too. Um, if you look at a, a great movie or a great example of suspense and, and Marnie, we're probably talking about Hitchcock all the time in the show. Um, there's this great scene where Tippi Hedren is trying to rob this office building she's working at. And you see her kind of working away at something in an office room. And then you see a janitor walk in in the background. So like, and they're separated by a wall and it's just perfectly silent. And you get so scared for Tippy Hedron, and it's just a janitor walking in. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me that uh, a movie with so little stakes and just a janitor walking in is way scarier than, you know, a guy with a knife in a cornfield who just killed a little boy and he may or may not kill. Lyndall Hamilton. It's just this silly, bad, confusing scene inside the, uh, you know, around the car in the cornfield that set the stage for how the rest of the film would play out and feel. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, even if you want to think about, you know, generating the proper amount of suspense, uh, even in the context of Children of the Corn. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King manages to do this in the story. I mean, in the story, you know, we have the sequence where they discover the body of the boy, who they think they've hit, but they notice that his throat was already slit and he'd already bled to death. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decide that they're going to go into town. They don't meet an old mechanic or anything. Mm. They they just they, they get into the town and just discover it's a complete ghost town. There's no one there. They visit the gas station, empty diners. They notice that all the town's calendars are out of date. Gas prices are don't make sense compared to the national average. Uh and they just start, and they they start getting really bad feelings about it, as as you would if you encountered a place like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and you know, and then they discover the church, which has recent dates on the sign, and you know, even though the rest of the town is neglected and falling apart, this church is reverently put together, like you know, it's someone still maintaining it. So I mean, that alone builds the suspense necessary. Yeah, it, like, it lets the story unfold. Exactly. Yeah. Like 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 because because then you're thinking, oh my God, what's going to be in the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with this, Bert and Vicky walk around in the movie, and they just see a bunch of corn around shops here and there. And they and, just... and they, there's like graffiti all over the place. It's like, "He who walk behind the rose seeth you." 
Outlander. Yes, the kids are screaming Outlander. I think I saw. Uh, it was like some. This is way before I saw this movie. I didn't see this for the first time until a few nights ago. But it was the actor all grown up who played Malachi, and they have like one of his lines playing. He's like, yeah, "I was really proud of that moment." And he's like his Outlander screaming. He's like, "I got to say a classic horror movie line." Outlander is this movie's version of Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except it, it the becomes, Warriors is good. Well, yes, but I mean, it, it becomes like the Warriors are Mad Max by the time they're screaming Outlander. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's like this weird, like Mad Max movie kind of hidden in this too that doesn't work at all. That's what I got. The vibe I got from it. Yeah. Well. Uh, let me talk about something I did like with this movie. Okay. <laughs> I kind of liked it in spite of itself, uh-huh. but I was really entertained by the uh, the actor that played Isaac. I was confused by that child. I thought it was a woman and dressed up as a boy at first, or just somebody a lot older. Because Isaac has this really unique way of talking. Like, he's very... Like, it's very fitting that they chose him to play the preacher. Yeah. But he's always like, he who walks behind the road sees you. Like, you know, it's just very, yeah, it's a very strange voice. And so I decided to do a little research. Uh, and I looked him up on IMDb and I noticed that it, that it said he was born in 1959. Oh. This movie, this movie was made in 1984, which makes, which would have made him 25 years old. Hmm. So, so is he like uh, Andy Milanakis? Uh, he yeah he has a growth hormone deficiency, uh, and he w- and he got his acting contract uh, because he looked like he was twelve at twenty five. I see. So you know so yeah it's uh, and that makes his voice a lot higher uh, than the average person. Okay, like um, I will say that that is one thing the movie did get right is that that casting of uh, Isaac, the kid was genuinely creepy. Hmm. I uh, Malachi, on the other hand, I mean that kid, he he's a terrible actor. Yes, <laughs> Courtney he's Gaines. All, yeah, Courtney Gaines. He's he's, I've seen him. I've seen him recently, and he's he's gotten better, and he's also grown into his giant mouth. Yeah, he has this. He looks like uh, like he'd be an extra from Salute Your Shorts or something. Yeah, he he very much looks like uh, the lost love child of uh, Buttnick and uh, Donkey Lips. Yeah. <laughs> We're being really mean here. I'm sorry, but that's what inspires me. Uh, yeah. um, that's what this film inspires from me. I don't. I'm not inspired by saying mean things about child actors. <laughs> <laughs> Although part of the problem with this movie is that it, it's it's so dependent on good child actors, and they have they have one, and he happens to be the 25 year old. The other children, they have clips of uh, or just cutaways to kids chanting in the cornfields. And the children are clearly not into it. They're just sort of mumbling their lines. Like, I feel the director maybe got, like, you know, his nieces and nephews out and maybe a few other family friends. And uh, he just couldn't get them to act scary enough. So they end up looking like these really bored kids wondering when they can go watch G.I. Joe instead. Can I tell you what was hilarious to me? It was uh, when they go to the church and they show... The way they've desecrated the uh, the holy art. Yeah, they have this picture of Jesus, and they have put 
corn kernels over his eyes, and they put like they put like corn husks over his hair. Yeah, and it it, it looks like. It looks like somebody's bad macaroni art of like, <laughs> of like somebody's blacklight Bob Marley poster. <laughs> it's just, it's re- it's really terrible looking and really comical, and it's not supposed to be. They must have raided like the, uh, the community college's art department. That's right. Yeah, somebody somebody had some uh, summer camp art supplies yeah. with you know. <laughs> so you know, I mean, we didn't get to their um. Popsicle stick crucifixion. <laughs> well, it it does uh, say model. this movie had an eight hundred thousand dollar budget. Yeah, and it made fourteen million dollars, which w- goes right ahead to explain to you why there was a sequel. I can understand one sequel. How they've managed to make that into seven sequels I... has to it has to strictly be on the strength of people do, buying anything with Stephen King's name on it. it. It has to be that. It has to be. Um. I remember going back to Malachi, there was this horrible scene where he's chasing Bert inside of uh, some sort of old mill or just a, it looked like a general store from like Colonial Williamsburg or something. And Bert just kind of bumps him slightly with a little lead pipe, kind of stares at him a little bit and then just sort of walks casually out of the building. It's just, there's no tension. And then the actor playing Malachi just... It's like he forgot he's supposed to like grab his leg and act in pain. And he finally yeah. gets with the program, though, at least. Good for you, Malachi. For a movie about killer children, this movie really doesn't want any visible violence to happen to children. It's, um, yeah, it's mostly off-screen. It's mostly off-screen. I mean, like, and I, I, I can kind of understand that, but if that's the impulse you're going to go with, maybe you shouldn't make a movie out of Children of the Corn. Um, <laughs> also, the... Any any scare? Okay, I am not a fan of the killer kid genre. I, I think there I, I think there are very few good examples. Children, but uh, Village of the Damned is like the only one I can think of. Maybe maybe going back to the fifties, you have stuff like the Bad Seed. You know, oh, that's just um, terrible. <laughs> but it's terrible in a fun way, which this is not. Um, it, yeah, that one is at least amusingly bad. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a couple good examples that are slipping my mind right now. But like, generally speaking, this is a the killer child is a genre that some people seem to really love, and that I just don't get. Well, I guess. Um, it... I, I think I think maybe you know, in literary terms, you know, I, I like the original Children of the Corn short story. Uh, I can think of a, a really great story using the killer child idea, but subverting it on its head uh which is uh, jack ketchum's the rifle from his uh peaceable kingdom uh anthology yeah. which i recommend to anybody it's that's a really great story about a sociopathic child and the consequences of it any jack ketchum yeah so, but uh but this um i well there were the the zombie kids in trick-or-treat <laughs> yeah about all, and, but they weren't the centerpiece of that movie and they were there zombies. Was, there was that movie Orphan that came out recently. Okay. But there, there's a twist to that one. I'm not even gonna. Well, I, I'm not I, gonna go there yet until we talk about it in a future episode. Okay. Um, but any any tension that could be generated by the kids in this movie is ruined because the kids never really come out of nowhere. They're we're always given like eight shots of them preparing their weapons anytime they sneak up on anybody. Yeah, the the stalking and execution of the 
mechanic was painfully slow because of that. They had to show each and every kid holding a weapon before they even went near the mechanic. Yeah, the movie had no idea of, like, efficiency of editing. If they wanted to make it at least a little dramatic and scary, they could just have the guy turn around and boom, there's, like, eight yeah. kids with knives. Right. Or we could just see him attacked, you know? it's yeah. that... Or they could have yeah. had a better character. <laughs> Or just not done that character at all. But again, I feel like he's also there just so they can increase their kill count. Which they wouldn't have to have had to have done if they had let Bert and Vicky die. Which, uh, that's how the story goes, right? The, 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 uh, Absolutely, novella. yeah. Yeah, um, Bert and Vicky are killed. Uh, Vicky is sacrificed to he who walks behind the rose, and her eyes are ripped out by the children. Uh, that's pretty freaky. And she's hot, and she's crucified uh, on the cornstalks next to the blue man and the adult preacher from the town. I don't know why the preacher is not uh, shown, but I guess maybe that was considered too sacrilegious. I don't know. Maybe it was Stephen um, King. They had cast him, then he saw like the dailies. He's like, "F that noise! I'm out of I'm here." I'm going back to I'm going back to Maine. You send guys. me my royalty check. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that so, but yeah, and uh, and Bert is eaten. By he who walks behind the rose, who who shows up as a giant red-eyed monster. Okay. Um, now, so again, you know, our heroes are killed. In the movie, they survive and they have a heroic victory. And my my another part that really cracked me up uh, is when you you mentioned at the very end they have a, they have a last jump scare with with a girl attacking yeah. uh, Bert in the car, and and the girl easily being knocked out when a passenger door is sort of lo- like very lightly hit and hit against her head and Bert goes oh boy <laughs> like oh those children of the corn when will they learn it does turn into like home alone or just a slapstick comedy at the like the last five minutes of this movie right you just, could argue the whole movie was uh, but just it, having him go oh boy <laughs> oh boy that it freeze frames the end I bet they shot other stuff and they probably showed it to the executive producers and like, oh, just cut it, just cut it. Just put it out there. Someone might see this. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. An- another uh, change that the movie made is that Malachi and Isaac, uh, they didn't die during the siege against Bert and Vicky. Mm. Um, in fact, most of the kids didn't. And they di- and um, Bert and Vicky did not succeed in destroying the cornfield. However... Uh, he who walks behind the rose is displeased with the children because it had to emerge and kill Bert itself. Otherwise, he would have escaped. Yeah. So, so it so it lowers the age limit. Uh, so anyone who is 18 years or older has to will, willingly sacrifice themselves to the corn. Yeah. Well, they they do have that one kid, and he says it's my birthday, and he carves on like the satanic star in his chest. And walks yeah. out to the cornfield, and he just—I'm assuming—dies from the sure. corn god. Um, yeah, but in, in the book, you know, they show like Malachi like walking out to the cornfield while his pregnant girlfriend, who is not yet eighteen, looks on crying. See, like they're so they're, they're the kids are still doing adult stuff, you know. Like there's still there's still quite a bit of pathos to it, and the book just sort of ends with the the, the story ends with just the saying that the corn surrounding Gatlin is pleased. They could have had a more interesting way to portray the monster, you know, the being, corn god, he who walks behind the rose. They could have had just, like, a pretty cool uh, animatronic monster. But then just, if you light it carefully enough, 
you could have them in the shadows and you can't make out all the features and it would have been scary you know but they had that really it's it's almost hard to describe how bad the effect looks of the as you said like infrared or the like heat scanner that devours isaac looks but it's really terrible um it is on netflix if you can watch if you want to watch it and for uh and for fans of um king's reno king and his references uh we mentioned randall flag earlier again the villain of the stand we mentioned him previously in our uh the blob episode and and then somewhere in the king canon it is implied and also uh in the stand, uh, Mother Abigail, mm-hmm. who helps uh, round up a lot of the uh, the good survivors in the stand, uh, she she lives in the neighboring town to Gatlin Hemingford home. Okay. Uh, and also, it's implied that you know, as a, as probably a another reference to that, that uh, ran, one of another one of Randall Flagg's avatars on our plane is he who walks behind the rose. All right. So it, so it's supposed to be it's supposed to be some piece of him. Or it could, or it could also be the Old Testament God. Not really explained, but all possibilities. And in the movie, it's just a blatant demon. I mean, they they even say it can be beaten by reading Bible verses at it. Yeah. Then they decide to burn it. It's like I, I didn't, I didn't understand their deductive reasoning there. I think I, I, I just want to, I wanted to bring up the story because I think there's a good idea there. Yeah. And I think this is a movie that fails to deliver that idea on almost every conceivable way. Well, like they they want to make it a bloodier story, mm-hmm. and but at the same time they want none of the pathos or anything that makes the story interesting. Nothing for you to really care. It's I, well, it was distributed by New World Pictures. Mm-hmm. I, I I just have a feeling like they sent a memo saying like there needs to be some bloody kills in the movie. So we can sell yep. this to teenagers to make them think it's just a run-of-the-mill slasher f- picture, and they try to do that, and then they try to have, you know, the main storyline, and it's just a big mess, and none of it's not a bit of it's satisfying. No. So. But you know what? I- I've made a decision. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if we're doing this show this time next year, Children of the Corn too. Can't wait. Uh, maybe. I, this, this could become an annual event for us. Going through Children of the Corn 2, 3, 4. Third week in November every year. Hear, hear ye, hear ye, I decree. We will be doing Children of the Corn sequels. I cannot wait to review Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Uh, in, I can't. In which, in which he who walks behind the rose and his followers uh, go to uh, downtown Chicago. In the slums oh. and start planting corn. Oh my god! Uh. <laughs> I hope you're ready. Are you folks at home? Because I'm not. Maybe oh, I will I, be in a year. I very much am, sir. Well, um, that's about all the time we have for today. That's right, because like Linda Hamilton in the year 1984, we're moving on to bigger and better things. Yes, it being the month of November, and we are approaching the holiday thanksgiving i uh we decided that uh we ought to watch a sort of a native american themed picture Mm -hmm. and uh, we're watching a great one it's called last of the mohicans and this is the michael mann version with daniel day lewis and um madeline stowe yes with madeline stowe and uh it's a great one i think i personally think it's michael mann's best film 
Um, it is on Netflix streaming, so go ahead and watch it uh, in time for the holiday. The corn and Gatlin is pleased. The corn is pleased. With that being said, I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. Stay bloody, my friends. There's a monkey in the wood pile, sure as you're born. I think old John's been a-shuckin' my corn.